Hello everyone, and welcome to a very special bootleg segment. My name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And this is the Cartoncast, a, uh, the podcast where we review old cartoons to see what we think of them as adults, and as I had mentioned, it is our bootleg segment where we watch an animated movie. Yeah, and uh, today we are looking at the animated classic, 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 Balto. Uh, Movie. Yeah, asterisk. There's some quotation, air, air quotes on that. Cult classic. You know, you stayed up too late Saturday night watching Cartoon Network, and it wasn't. They hadn't invented Adult Swim yet, and so they're like, I eh, just throw Balto in there. Yeah, B- Balto will. I mean, he passes muster. Like it's. It, I mean, it's the most acceptable filler of an animated movie that I think we've dealt with so far. I think it did. Like back in the day, Land Before Time was way better. Uh, this time around, it did a. Be- this did a better job of pulling my heartstrings. I, I had a real hard time with this movie. I had a hard time connecting with it, kind of at all, but we can get into it in a little bit. Um, first of all, a little preamble to uh, orient the listener to what I am going through currently. I am still kind of sick. My back hurts in a way I don't understand, which is uh, a new, fresh kind of back hurt, um, which, which, while being intriguing, is not that fun to deal with. Uh, so I'm going to be a little bit distractible and a little bit foggy during the broadcast here, but I will, I will shoulder on as best as I, just as Balta would demand of me. Yeah, bring out he's bring very out demanding your wolf soul. Side. Um, yes, you know, invoke a, make a sacrifice to Holo the Wise Wolf, and we're going to get oh, through this. Oh shit! I didn't even consider that we were going to get some spice and wolf shit going. Did you know they put out a VR game? Nope, 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 nope. nope. It's just for uh, wandering <laughs> around making trades and looking at your wolf waifu. <laughs> wolf waifu, the wolfu. Um, so yeah. yeah, so I'll be I'll be trying to handle the bulk of the production and plot stuff, so Ben can just chime in and relax as necessary. And it's a shortish movie, so maybe we'll get through it uh, fairly quickly. Yeah, so like, uh, let let's talk a little bit about Balto. Balto Balto came out in 1995. It was produced by Amblin Entertainment, which is uh, Spielberg's animation company. We've seen with them before, uh, and distributed by Universal. Fun little trivia note: um, Amblin Entertainment is not Disney. I think I had previously suggested that this was going to be a run-of-the-mill Disney movie. I don't know why I thought it was. It it's just like, hits it, the beats. It runs in a lot of similar circles, but it is decidedly not a Disney movie. Uh, important caveat is because uh, it came out right after Tor- Toy Story, which is maybe why you don't remember this one too well. Yeah, that's why it didn't make too much money, but it still did okay enough to have a couple of sequels. I mean, the, the, the bar for, you know, having a couple sequels was not super high in, yeah, in the 90s. That's you know, true. This this was coming off the tail of uh, a lot of animation renaissance movies, and it was very profitable to make uh, animated movies in those days because there was such a huge market for actual good animated movies. So, like, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a glut, and it, it did not make it didn't take much to get the kids to the theater in the like the mid nineties. So, it makes sense that there would be a cash grab for a couple of sequels of this. But I found that I I don't think it really deserved it we'll get into it more but yeah it does it made sense I, the fact that they had sequels does not mean that it was necessarily good is what i'm saying right and i agree that this does feel like a run-of-the-mill disney i actually felt like when i was watching i'm like this is this has all the beats of like season one of a very generic shonen anime <laughs> I can't um, wait for you to back that up with hard data. <laughs> he just, he reminds me of Deku. I don't know. Okay. Um, so this movie was directed by Simon Wells, who directed Five Goes West and did supervising animation on Who Framed Roger Rabbit and is the great-grandson of H.G. Wells. So that's, that's fun. fascinating. There's a lot of, like, weird, uh, you know, in, in addition to that, 
um, Jane and Henry Fonda, their daughter, Bridget Fonda, had a, you know, speaking role on this, which I thought she actually did fairly well. It's, yeah. it's interesting. This has, like, weird one degree of Kevin Bacon separation from actual stars. Well, it's funny you should mention that. Zero degree of Kevin Bacon separation, yes. Uh, this also features Kevin Bacon in a weird bit of, like, hey, Kevin Bacon can do voice acting, and it does, it turns out, no, he really can't. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting that we see so many stars that we are familiar with personally. You know, we, we just dealt with Bob Hoskins uh, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and he showed back up here as a wise cracking goose. Yeah, and uh, I, I I think you're being a little too hard on this this movie on this on this national hero of balto oh he he yeah, saved on true, all those based children on a true story by himself yeah, one of 2020 one of 20 lead sled dogs let, who who made the run let me let me read out this uh, this story because it's actually the real life history of balto yeah I, I read up a little bit into it and i mean like you can tell me the whole thing in a second but like the way it was talked about to me was just like yeah people really think a lot better of balto than he acted like he was fine but like wasn't any great shakes he was a hero (laughs) yeah like yeah like one of 20 i guess why did they make a movie about him if he's not a hero tell me that (laughs) as i understand it there were 20 different sled dog teams that did this run which the the medicine run exact same reasons diphtheria outbreak no medicine that like that is all completely canon uh, but it was 20 different sled teams that uh, that ferried the medicine over, and Balto happened to be the lead dog of the last leg of the race, or the le- leg of the journey, which is why he gets top billing. Um, but yeah, go ahead and tell me what, what you have gleaned. This is always tricky when you throw to me after giving like half of the story, because now I have to say the whole thing again. <laughs> And I almost wonder if it's a, like a subconscious reflex on my part to take your thunder. I think you're doing it on purpose. I'll, it I'll chalk be. it up to the sickness. Yeah, um, they, that's very generous. I, I, I don't. I don't mind. It's fine. Okay. Um, so Balto, as we said, is based on the true story of the 1925 serum run to Nome. Uh, this was a sled dog relay from Nanana to Nome, Alaska. It comprised 20 mushers and 150 dogs, and they traveled almost 700 miles in just five and a half days in order to deliver diphtheria antitoxin to prevent an epidemic. Uh, Although the longest leg of the run was performed by Leonard Sapala and his dog Togo, Togo, the final leg was done by Gunnar Kassen and Balto, who became the most famous dog after Rin Tin Tin. Um, They earned their accolades running the Iditarod Trail, in almost complete, uh, as uh, just as Macaulay Culkin did. Yes, <laughs> very good. In almost complete darkness or whiteout conditions. Uh, and they actually picked up an extra leg of the trip when the next runner and dog team were found asleep. They were like, well, conditions are good. Let's just keep going. <laughs> um, it was Cassin's suggestion that people honor Balto and not just himself. Uh, of course, mm. other mushers were not thrilled that Kazan and Balto got most of the credit, especially Sapala, who traveled almost twice the distance he did, and almost no attention went to the native peoples of Alaska, who did about two-thirds of the trip. I think that it's <laughs> kind of, it, it's, I mean, like, it, it makes sense that they would be a little bit butthurt about, like, not getting their accolades, but I do think that the fact that Gunner gave the accolades to his dog is like very in line with what I expect a musher's bond with his dog is as somebody who like feels a lot of empathy toward dogs Mm -hmm. and wishes they had a dog like that really that really speaks to me and it really 
is in line with the kind of man's best friend bond that I want to believe that a lot of mushers have with their dogs. So that that is actually like pretty cute to me. It also just feels like a very 20s aesthetic or it's like me and me and the dog, we're a real team. We we did it together. Yeah. Yeah, you and me, boy. You and um, me against the world. Balto himself could not be bred um, as he was neutered at a young age, and so he was treated with the respect given to all celebrities in the 20s and 30s. He was, paraded, he was paraded around vaudeville, <laughs> sold to a freak show, and turned into a statue of himself in Cleveland. Yeah, that, that's a, you know, so it's a, a, something that is central to the story of the movie of Balto is that he's a half-breed, and we'll get into that in a second, but he's part dog and part wolf. Not true. Like, that's entirely fabricated. The entire plot of the whole medicine run um, from Gnome to Anchorage or whatever. I, d- I didn't take note of the actual cities. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, that whole thing, that's that's true to life. The whole characterization behind Balto and everything that kind of goes into that is complete, you know, Amblin fam- fabrication, it's... which is, you know, necessary to tell a story. It's just like, it's very... I almost appreciate that they're like, okay, the surrounding narrative is all true to life based on a real story. And the actual character that we are putting onto these animals is just completely bullshit. And I, I, I kind of like that because they needed to do something it, to make that a uh, story more than just like a uh, like a 30 minute like a uh, program on CNN or whatever. Yeah, documentary. It kind of works mm-hmm. because it allows Balto to embody all of those different dogs. But I think the Disneyfication of this story actually like low balls how cool it was <laughs> yeah it's one of those odd like cartoonifying it making it less i mean like it you you're peddling to kids you can't make it seem as dire as there's tons of people who are going to be dead yeah. if this doesn't happen and you know we see their journey not as a matter of days but like as a matter of hours which is a little bit less like you know it's it's a little bit less hardcore Maybe. And the times when they do condense a large amount of time into a tiny space, into like a montage, those aren't really that. Uh, they feel really weird. We'll get those to Those are fucking awful. I, the I end. can't believe. Yeah, that's just so. Like the most forced of scenes that I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. So I, I think <laughs> if they had done this more as like. More like a Mighty Ducks kind of thing, where it's like, all right, guys, the A team couldn't hack it. It's our scrappy... Like an underdog story. A literal underdog story, yes. Yeah. Um, The fact that they made Balto a half-wolf in this, I don't understand at all, other than, like, lazy writing. We need something that makes him cooler than every than these like purebred mushing dogs all the time kind of guys i i, I have some i have that's some where the shonen that. comes in that's that well, it's like oh you know you're you're a special you're born from yeah, the chosen, legend of dragons cho- chosen hero kind of thing i i've got a couple ideas on why that is um and we can get into that in a second but yeah do you, do you have anything else in terms of like production no, that's the main. That's the main stuff. I mean, there's a couple things that I want to mention. Yeah. Uh, the music was done by James Horner, who worked on other Amblin projects that we have dealt with before, mm-hmm. including Five O Goes West and Land Before Time. Yeah. So, if there are a lot of emotional beats that feel pretty similar, that is why. Although I don't think that this is anywhere near James Horner's best work. Yeah, it, the audio is weird in this one because it's very effective. It really pulls at the heartstrings, but I can't remember a single motif. No, it, it's pretty like, you know, it's like Hans Zimmer kind of singularity bullshit a little bit, where it's just like, I understand that there is action happening, and in the moment, I am feeling said action, but you are right, like, I don't remember what it sounded like. It, it's not any kind of that earwormy, land-before-time theme 
or you know Jurassic Park or anything like that. The, mm-hmm. It doesn't stick in your head in the same way as you know some of the great movies. And whether or not that's a function of the movie doing poorly or whether the score is just less uh, less effective, uh, you know, I can't say. That's 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 hindsight twenty twenty kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it it definitely does not feel as uh, it doesn't feel as effective as some of his other works that we've dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of the characterization of Balto being a half-breed, I think it's important to note a couple of points of comparison is that this is a outcast story, right? Yeah, those were huge. This was the Disney Renaissance time. Like, exactly. You're going to yeah. have an outcast. <laughs> right. And it, and like the best outcast stories, it's less of a learning to, it's less of a society learning to accept the outcast and more of a outcast learning to accept himself. And, and then the, the society being like, that. oh, he's not an outcast after all, even though that's kind of the wrong lesson, that's, but that's, whatever. That's a little bit less, that's a little bit less, you know, that that part is, to my mind, pretty ineffective. I think the parts where he comes to terms with himself being an outcast and kind of, you know, comes to terms with that and, and uh, soldiers on in spite of what he used to consider deficiencies and now just accepts as a part of him, that's always going to reach me pretty good. Mm-hmm. The part where everybody else is just like, he's a good guy now, is, is less coherent. It's, it actually it's works better good. because he's a dog, and I'm I'm a real sucker for like, oh, who's a good boy? <laughs> yeah, he's a very, oh man. this Okay, so I am a total sucker for dogs, and like every time, like another point of like a little bit of praise on this movie is that I think that the dog you know the animation of all the dog characters are they really sell it you know all the poses of animation like the the tail between the legs the the head hunched down the shoulder blades kind of raised hackles raised kind of stuff that all that all feels like it's working appropriately in the exact moment that they pull that stuff so i feel like it had a lot of good um a lot of good talent, a lot of good uh, understanding of what a dog's emotion would mean for their body posture in yeah. these moments. They did a great that job. That really worked for me. They did a great job transposing those sort of classic animation faces and expressions onto dogs. Uh, Balto, in particular, I think looks great, very textured. He's kind of got like a like a trampy, bohemian artist type look. It's, it's so fucking Lady in the Tramp. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but the... Other animals who are not dogs, kind of less so. Like, the bears look undone. Yeah, the spheres. The spheres with, like, the, the most basic spheres, line work that needs to get erased later. <laughs> yeah, those were those were perplexing. <laughs> uh, the bears were perplexing in general. I think, yeah. um, you know, Jenna, the, the love interest dog. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, entirely too sexy <laughs> like it's it's a it's a little bit forced like it's a little bit like but she here's, does here's your love interest idiot. walk like if uh if like a classically trained finishing school princess turned yes. into a dog that's what it would look and walk like <laughs> look dude it's like it's blatantly ripping off lady in the tramp yeah there's there's no question about it my two sentence kind of uh summary of this whole movie is Lake Lady and the Tramp, but with less class commentary, mm-hmm. and a lot of dumb action scenes that were there for no reason. Were there scenes in Lady and the Tramp other than the pasta scene? Did I, I don't know anything <laughs> else that happened. that on loop? <laughs> I feel like it was just a, yeah, like a pasta I don't spin. know. It was Warranty Rad in there. I don't remember. Warranty um, Rad. The, the whole, I wanted to get back to the outcast story because I mm. wanted to 
bring up a couple points of comparison and kind of dissect what exactly makes the outcast story work and why I think this is maybe less fluent. Mm-hmm. So the other movies that kind of came to mind when I was thinking about this archetype is Aladdin. Yes. Uh, where, you know, he, he, he's, he's a street thief. He shows up in the first scene and everyone's very dismissive of him. It's like, Oh, stand, get in your place. Thief, thief, uh, like street rat, you know, that, that whole thing. Um, I actually think that this works a little bit better in the you are a societal outcast sense because in Aladdin, it's just that first scene and then the rest of the time it's Aladdin plus a palace and not really a lot of <laughs> middle ground. Right. Whereas it's, it's this a very is always just change. A, this is just a community that hates Balto, which is like it, it's it's pretty present for the entirety of the movie it, up until like kind of the Great Race well, section a, of it. He's a stray dog. In, he's got wolf parts. You can't trust that. He's a stray dog with unknown diseases in a town that's clearly very susceptible to diseases. It, it makes a certain sort of sense if you gauge it on, like, this is a dog spectrum. But I think the placeholder for this is he's an outcast undeservedly. You know, he, he's he's part wolf, which makes a lot of people distrust him. And by the end of it, he's shown to be, you know, loyal like a dog, whereas Steel is shown to be savage like a wolf. And... And that's Ooh, a weird like thing that. to do. That's a weird thing to do because what it's saying is that Balto's one of the good ones and Steel's one of the bad ones mm-hmm. in a way that you wish no racial commentary will ever kind of point at like, oh, it turns out we were dismissive of him because we didn't see him as white enough. No, like, you're absolutely like, right. That's 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 sort of the, the feeling that I get watching this movie is that they're trying to justify He's not as savage as we worried that he was based on his race. This, this He's is, better than his race is. This is the trouble with the outcast story when society, instead of saying, like, we shouldn't be casting people out, we should bring everyone together. Instead, they're like, oh, we weren't discriminating against the right people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, and I think it's because there's such that implicit wolf, bad, dog, good. And I, I think that be, that is because that is so ingrained in this in the fabric of this movie that it is hard to break away from that as like you know it, it's 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 just a difficult kind of racial disparity to contend with the the only counterpoint to that is that i think steel is such an over-the-top egotistical villain that it becomes much more of an individual thing rather than representing racial stuff one of the bad ones man i'm telling you i i think it's just like this one guy i i don't know man i i think the point that they say by the end of the movie whether explicit or implicit is that you know we like dogs we don't like wolves well this one wolf is okay and well well this one dog is bad uh yeah maybe i think it was more like if you're true to yourself then you'll gain the acceptance you seek but i think the That's, point mm, that you need acceptance is there's there's no it, there's some undercutting here yeah, there's no causal link between him accepting himself and the society accepting yeah. him. It's incidental, right? Right. And like, it, we it see almost... it because Boris says, like, you know, only a wolf could do this. And then he's like, oh, yeah, only a wolf could do this. But the people are like, hey, he did it. Yeah, it almost would have been more uh, successful if by the end of it, Balto comes back to town, saves the girl. He's accepted by everyone. And he's just like, uh, I don't need this town anymore. Like, I thought I needed their acceptance, but I have attained all the acceptance that I've desired because now I believe in myself. Yeah, if, like, the wolf spirit came back, and, like, in his... Like, he sees the aurora and he follows it and there's a wolf spirit and then he, like, goes off and f- 
No, it goes off and finds his own. That's not. That's no good either. That's, that's, it's no better. Yeah. Uh. There's 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 some tricky business here where like I don't know what the correct like moral lesson is, and I don't think they do a good job of teaching it. Unless the correct moral lesson is, you know, if you accept yourself, then that's what matters. But it's it's not the lesson they teach. I, I think that's the level that this movie was trying to hit on. Eh, I think so. It's just it's not my favorite tell of it, and it's not well articulated through the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, let's uh, just just to just because I had a couple more references in mind for Outcast stories. Yeah, um, Wreck It Ralph seems like a pretty prominent one. That's a good one too. Except because yeah, yeah the the role reversal where it's by being villainous he becomes good whereas here well being half wolf is a misunderstanding of his nature not a a fulfilling of his function it's it's exactly the same it's oh. i mean like in that world villains are you know necessary parts of the society they're not the bad guys you mm-hmm. know um in in fact by the end of it he's like i'm i'm bad and that's good i'll never be good and that's not bad he's just like coming to terms with there's, there's this function that i fulfill but it doesn't define that I'm, you know, a negative value to right. the community. Like, I'm still a part of the community. It's just, you know, I fulfill it in my own way. Um, it's I think it's exactly like that, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, How to Train Your Dragon. I think Hiccup does this. Where he, you know, he is not a... He, he wants to be the thing that is accepted in Viking society. And it's constantly told to him by other people, like you're kind of not one of us and then by the end of it he is both one of them because of his uh because of those eccentricities that didn't let him be part of the society society so fluidly hmm i'm i'm sure i could tease apart the the you know differences between all those through lines but yeah this is a very classic kind of uh setup yeah Um, and and that's what reason i bring it up is just to point out that it is a very effective arc for a character story to be told through is like i'm the outcast i'm the underdog and no one understands me and i hate myself because of it oh do i really hate myself no i'm actually good hey they like me now yeah and i would say this is a an average telling of that story and i think the grander story of like this real life event and like oh there's like like they play the stakes really well for that story but the personal story of balto is less uh, less compelling than others that we can think of and call to mind yeah, the the arc doesn't sell me at all. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is pretty clumsy telling of that story, specifically because of the confused racial divide that goes on, racial slash class divide between wolf and dog. Yeah, there's just there's just a lot that they're trying to do that they didn't quite put enough uh, track down for. Yeah, I, I just I don't think they knew what message they were trying to tell. But uh, we can get into it. Yeah. A uh, quick look at the characters. We mentioned Balto is Kevin Bacon, who Fucking knows weird. a guy who knows a guy I know probably. Yeah, he knows a few good men. Statistically. Uh, yeah. There's a... Uh, so he played, uh, you know, a, a, a lead role in, like, a lot of different movies from a lot of different genres. Um, the few that I picked out are that are, like, the most famous, you know, A Few Good Men, Apollo 13, Footloose. He's generally not a voice actor, and we now know why. <laughs> I thought he did a good job. I don't, I don't agree with Maybe that Maybe it's just because I'm not, like... Like, I'm watching this, and I was like, oh, I know Jim Cummings. I can, I hear that voice, and I'm like, that's Jim Cummings. Balto, I'm like, I don't know what Kevin Bacon sounds like. This just, this is what Balto sounds like. So in that's, that way, that's, that's, that's he was actually a, very yeah, effective. He was really losing himself in the role. 
He's kind of like a Jonathan Joestar, just like, I'm a good guy. He didn't like, convey I... a ton of nuanced emotion. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's where it loses me a little bit. He's like, you know, I, I'm thinking specifically, since we have Jim Cummings as that reference, I'm thinking specifically of Simba's voice actor, specifically when he's like a, um, when he's an adult. Yeah. And he's kind of he's somber and like a little bit, uh, a little bit playful and like a little bit sardonic. Mm-hmm. because of like the hardships that he's faced i didn't get any of that with balto yeah you know? yeah he, he's clearly disfavored by society and i didn't feel other than his i'm sad moment i didn't feel like a you know kind of mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't find a dour note in his personality which is surprising serviceable job serviceable um, i i didn't think it was very good uh there's his best friend boris the snow goose yeah bob hoskins this this was kind of how did you feel about uh how do you feel about Boris? I just don't like he had some good lines, but a lot of the time he was kind of distracting. Sure. Like he he played against the theme, like the tone of a scene more than he played with it usually, but the times that he like toned down the wackiness, he was actually very compelling. Like he he's a good dramatic actor. Yeah, I I actually think that Boris did a lot here. I think that, you know, they went completely beyond the pale with the dumb bears but like this is the comic relief i think will work here because mm-hmm. he's got kind of that old russian wisdom and he's you know uh he, he's he's been around the block and he, he he's, he's a an outcast conser- too he's an outcast too but he's come to terms with it and he's a little conservative and cautious and i don't know like it i feel like it's a pretty good pairing yeah yeah you know he's the older wiser but he likes the company yeah. Um, more confusing is is the Bears, Muck and Luck, who are Phil Collins, who will be in my heart. Uh, it's a Tarzan reference. Um, <laughs> Phil Collins uh, from the band Genesis, who sang a lot of things. What? Uh, why? What? What is he doing here? These why are terrible he, characters. Why and is I he here? Wish they didn't exist. The characters are, are a weird inclusion. The fact that it's like some British singer voicing these like side characters, like. I don't know why how this happened. The voicing of the the, the bears is not bad. Uh, the inclusion of the bears at all is terrible. They don't add anything, and they're very distracting. And I think it was purely like kids need cute shit. Yeah, like even just looking at their animation, it seems like they were added kind of late. Um, they're so round. They're so you know, round like, and basic. They do the swimming thing, and that's cute. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it. This is not the place for it. Um, it, it's pretty, they, every time they show up, it's very tonally inconsistent with the rest of the scene because the rest of the scenes are pretty, you know, not, they're, 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 they're not always seriously toned, but they're never playful in the way that these are. Let this movie be what it's supposed to be. (laughs) Stop fighting it it to be a nineties kids movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's a little strange. Um, Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, moving on, uh, we have Jetta or Jenna. I, I didn't, I couldn't tell which one of this. Jenna, was. yeah, Bridget Fonda yeah. of the Fondas. Of, of yeah, of the Fondas. Actually, a pretty good read. Yeah, I think like, she did I, a great job. Yeah, I did, like I mean, she she definitely can do better than Balto. She can definitely do better than Kevin Bacon, that's for sure. Yeah, she got the emotions of the character across. There were some subtle things in terms of like how she feels about the two guys, but um. Yeah, yeah there, gotta, there just wasn't a ton for her character to uh, to do. I mean, she had some is, cool action later on in the movie, but a lot of times she's just sort of like being led around and looking worried. 
Yeah, I mean, like, she's the, this is a classic archetype for our outcast hero, Rogue. It's like, this is Princess Jasmine, this is Molly Ringwald. They always have this, where it's like, this is the prim and proper princess who sees the good in the bad boy. You know, it's Grease Lightning. You know, mm-hmm. there's like a ton of examples of this specific kind of character. Um, I don't I don't love it. I think that they could have done some good stuff with like how Balto needs humans and Jenna is like a dog that has humans and you can see the utility of that bond. You know, especially mm-hmm. considering the source material of the musher wanting to give his dog credit. Like they could have done a lot with that bond of human and dog. She's just she's just the romantic lead. It's a it's kind of a, a frustrating yeah. lack of a role. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to the things that she does that I do like later. Um, sure. Last main character is Steel. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty. If I'm pretty prepared to talk about uh, Steel's, you know, voice actor. Yeah, Jim Cummings. Yes. Yeah, we we've. He's been everywhere, man. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you yeah, see him all the time. Um, what's interesting about this role is that he does play the villain uh, very well. You know, it's always sign of a good villain where it's beautiful. Like, like in a stage play, when somebody's playing the villain, what you want is for them to come on stage for their bows and to just be booed. Yeah. Like for everyone to agree, like, that was a great performance. We can't express that in any other way than like, we hate what you've done here tonight. Yeah. Gilded Tomatoes. Um, yeah, I, I think he's great. Like this is easily the best voice actor in the entire Well, yeah, because he's, he's a professional voice actor. He's actually yeah, they, doing his job. And he's had a lot of experience by this point, uh, you know, uh, uh, and this was kind of like in his major days, you know, doing all of the uh, various Disney voice acting and a lot of kids show voice acting. And he's playing this character who's kind of like perfectly in his element for the time. Like I always looked at Steel and I look at the dog character. And I'm like, this is 50-50 scar and gaston yes like that is the matchup and it works yeah absolutely what's what's great about you know jim cummings read of this is that it's very clear when he is being a dog for the humans and when he is being a wolf for balto Mm -hmm. you know i mean he is a purebred dog but like the the dichotomy that they're trying to tell us about in this movie is that like there's a loyal you know dependable dog side and there is a bestial uh, rabid, uh, can't be depended on wolf side. Mm-hmm. And he really threads that needle nicely in his, uh, in his voice acting. Like it's very gruff and growling and the animation frames for him do a great job of communicating which of those he is in a moment. And, and the voicing in terms of like, it's hard to communicate via growl, a subtle performance. <laughs> yeah. But he, he, he manages it. Um, I do, yeah. but yeah, the animation on this guy looks great. He's very like tall and imposing in the way that like, yeah, I imagine some dogs are, but I haven't seen one like this in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's very imposing and he's very Prince Charming. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just that great role of, I am a civilized person with just a monster lurking in my heart. Yeah. And he's which just, is always going to speak to me. He's just so, he's just such a gross, awful guy. <laughs> yeah, a very civilized monster. I love it. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get like, there are a lot of nice moments in this where everybody kind of has their own chance to shine, but the um, a lot of this movie plays counter to itself. Yes. Yeah, uh, I would definitely agree with that. But I'm ready to get into it. Sure. Uh, there are other characters in the form of, like, uh, a nice young girl and yeah. some uh, some townspersons and some Jewish dogs, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that as, as we get there. 
So we begin in... Uh, do you remember Forrest Gump? Live action? I didn't... Do, do, you, do you remember Princess Bride? Did anybody remember? This is the least necessary framing device I've ever it, seen. It, it's, pretty, it's pretty insubstantial. The story um, doesn't need it. It's not obvious what the purpose is until the end. And at the end, it's so obvious it doesn't need to be stated. Forrest Gump was in 1994. That's, that's all I'll say about this. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they lead in with a, here's the story of Balto. And maybe this is like a subtle, like, hey, audience, remember, this is based on a real story. I can't say anything more for it than that. Yeah, t- just tell the story better. Like, that's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> just make a better story. Then we don't need this uh, matron kind of telling us about it. Yeah, show me an amazing story about a dog saving a town and then do the based on the true story thing at the, like, after the credits and the audience is like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> he, if, he went if, for it. He's a good boy. Yeah, if if you went into the, like the Simpsons episode with Laddie, it, where like Marge as a photorealistic live human was like, "Let me tell you the ballad of Laddie," and then we had that episode, <laughs> so much less effective. Um, but we good quickly, reference Ben. I mean, it's a woman telling this story to her granddaughter. It's um, like, remember, there's a real good dog a while ago, and here we go. <laughs> and <laughs> like, movie, like legitimately, there's like nothing to the framing device. <laughs> It's so insubstantial, it's crazy. Um, and so we, we, she narrates a little bit, and we see an annual competition between sled dog teams to see which is the best sled dog team. We are in Alaska, all they know is snow. Uh, and we see Steel, um, you know, biting at the other sled dog team in order to get ahead, showing us right off the bat that he is a bastard. Yeah, he's a bad guy. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty forced, but, you know, whatever. What I like about this introduction to the city is that it feels very much like the introduction of Aladdin into Agrabah. Mm-hmm. And it's a full city where Balto is absolutely not welcome, and it's, like, from Balto's perspective, a pretty impressive, expansive city. Like, there's a lot of twists and turns and alleys that he can go yeah, down. Yeah, like he knows he, his way around, jumping he on knows the rooftops, his way around, slapstick encounters. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wants to go see the end of the race, so he... Uh, you know, he, he goes to check that out. Uh, we cut to see what the humans are doing. Um, and it's this little girl and her dog, Jenna. Um, the little girl is Rosie. And she gets a new sled and hat. And she wants to be a musher. And, like, it's super cute when, like, the 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 sled ma- the carpenter is like, oh, here you go. Like, it's very, like, exposition. Everyone's happy. The rising mm-hmm. action hasn't begun yet. But this stuff's all going to come back and be mirrored later. So pay attention. <laughs> Yeah, and, and like we uh, in a little bit we get a point where like Balto saves her hat from being trampled by the race, mm-hmm. and like we see her, she she knows Balto, she likes Balto. Her parents do not, and we can kind of see the indoctrination mm-hmm. as it's happening. You remember in Land Before Time where you got to see like, hey, these kids are totally cool with playing with each other, and then Sarah's dad comes in and is like, we don't talk to long necks. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, you can the see the indoctrination in real time being, yeah. like, supplanted. Um, just very similar moment to that. And, you know, the code, the coding is that we're supposed to like this girl because she likes Balto, and Balto's a good boy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, like, pretty heavy-handed, but, like, you know, okay, you're setting up your characters. It's fine. And you mentioned that he, you know, saves her hat. It, her hat got blown onto the racetrack, and he races to go grab it as the other dogs are coming. So it looks like he's just like this random stray is neck and neck with our top racing dog. Which Steel's still... been running all fucking day. It's like the <laughs> most, it's the most unfair comparison they can make, and they make it so blatantly with like no apologies. Like it, it kind of drove me crazy when I saw that. <laughs> People were dumb back then, Ben. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like an underdog with raw talent but no skill kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's faster than the fastest dog. Like, no. Like, one of them has been sprinting for days. <laughs> like, come on, give me a break. Yeah. Uh, like you said, all of all of these first, like, five minutes are informing us how everybody feels about everyone else. We see, you know, Steel doesn't like Balto. Balto likes Jenna. Jenna likes Balto. Rosie likes Balto. The town doesn't like Balto. Uh, Jenna's dog girlfriends like Steel. I I like I like Jenna's dog girlfriends a lot. Oh, why? They're like the awful. old they're just old Jewish comedians that happen to be dogs. <laughs> it, I don't know, it's very funny to me. Like they're very extra, but they're extra in a way that this movie can support whereas Muck and Luck are not. Yeah, more dogs with actual personalities works except for those two stooges of uh of steel. Fuck me. Yeah, can we talk about that? Yeah, so there's this one little yappy dog. No, wait, they're God. So there's these it's two dogs. Awful. Yeah, there there are three stooges, two of which actually talk, and one of which is just fucking. I, like, okay, so here's the setup. <laughs> here's the setup, Zane. What you did was incredible. I mean, it was it was it was phenomenal. It was like all sorts of. It was just amazing. And like, it just I did a pretty like, good all, job, right? It's that. It's and then that you smack setup. me. Yep, exactly. So one of them, it gets really excited and starts trying to put together a sentence that is gonna that is trying to praise or damn some other dog and then the third one chimes in and cuts through all like the the flowery prose of the of the first dog with like a just a regular statement Mm -hmm. and then this the the first dog being interrupted clobbers in congratulations there boss there it was a pleasure running behind you of course the view got monopoly you were the most amazing the most exalted the most preeminent the most top broad you won <laughs> this is straight fucking three stooges shit it's it's like it's improv so at the local coffee house shit like we get yeah. this <laughs> in improv where it's like oh i hit on a rhythm and i i found the game and now if i do that every time it will get a laugh but the, you do that a little bit at a time and you grow it or you put it in new situations you don't just restate it again and again yeah are you saying you don't do it 10 times in the first 10 minutes you gotta be a little subtle about, and also yeah, like every time this movie for- panders to me i found it like kind of insufferable and this was like the biggest example it's like here is the thing to laugh at yeah for children no F- fucking no it's awful yeah um point of animation i'd like to point out mm. uh i i think that this is uh very i think this is a good idea it, it strains credibility a little bit but like it definitely does supplant it does it definitely does get in our minds the roles of both steel and balto as they relate to the rest of dog kind all of the racing dogs that are not steel or balto they're like a little doughy a little dopey you mm-hmm. know they, they're not sleek and they're not mangy. They're somewhere in the middle and just kind of general, a little more round and useless. I didn't see a single husky. Yeah. And, and like, so we're, we're, we're <laughs> which is weird, right? It makes steel look larger than life and very competent. Yeah. And it makes Balto look very ferocious. And that's exactly what they want to be doing. So like, it's a, it's a thing that I don't believe for as <laughs> it, in terms of like a dog sled team, but it like, I can see the purpose behind it and it's well considered. Yeah, that the the subtleties are you know in the animation in this show in this yep. movie. Um, so Steel like flirts with Jenna, and I like this one line where he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, I know where all the bones are buried." Like, <laughs> that's a good dog pickup line. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty 
frat dog at a mixer kind of line. But, uh, you know, she's not interested. She likes Balto. So Stilo goes after Balto. There's some insults. There's some threats, you know, like. I can't believe how hey, late you can't, the you can't ride is. with our crew. You got to get out of town. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like. It's very uh, 50s. It's like West. Yeah, it's like West Side Story or something. Mm-hmm. It's pretty crazy. Um, um, yeah, so they, 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 they run him out of town. He and Boris go to sulk for a little while. Balto is dejected. So they sulk in this abandoned this wooden a ruin- ship. <laughs> this, this ruined pirate ship that is for some reason grounded. It's in the middle of a snowy field. Like, there's a backstory there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when did Sinbad crash here? I don't... Um, um, the ship itself, I want to say, looks great. Like, very yeah. believable texture and aging. It's just, why is it there? Yeah, like, no... Like, there's no reason for it. I have no idea what it's doing here. Um... On the way, on the way to the ship, Balto like is walking from town, and he sees some wolves, and he doesn't fit in there either. I didn't get that impression. The impression that I got from that scene is that the wolves are calling out to him, and he's unwilling to call out to them. Oh, okay. Him, yeah, him that could doing, be it too. Him doing the howling, I think, is him. It is is synonymous with him accepting that he's a wolf. Yeah, and they're willing to take him in, but he's not willing to be let in. Oh, I saw it as like a warning, warning cry from them. That that is not how it read to me. It, it was like a, "Hey, you want to run with our crew?" And he's like, "No, I still want to be a dog because you know." There's I'm, this I'm trying to develop some respectability so that I can get with the governor's daughter. That's more, 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 or less, <laughs> more or less what's going on. Have you heard of a of a role model named Jack Sparrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it felt a little bit like that. Yeah, another thing, Will Turner. Yeah, it's actually oh yeah, Will Turner. Very similar because like there's that class commentary and like. The, the Duchess's daughter or whatever being the Jasmine role in that. Yeah. It's like this story is like a tale as told as, is, is a tale as old as time, really. Yeah, just put steel on absinthe. Everything is one to one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Boris, meanwhile, doesn't fit in with the with the uh, geese flying south for the winter. Um, yeah, so but like, he's like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I, I'm I'm old. I don't I don't care. I think they're just I avoiding should... you. Well, honestly, in a kind of like outcast stick together kind of way, he's like, no, I, I've decided a long time ago that I choose my family and it's you. Yeah, and you he know? gives a, he gives Balto a little pep talk. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of sweet. And like Bob Hoskins is doing his damnedest to like both play the comic relief and also the older, wiser. The heart. Yeah, the heart. And like, I buy it. Yeah, it, yeah, it, that... it works. In um, addition, I just find his accent, although a little bit like indecipherable at times i found it like kind of a charming read it's it's inconsistent to the degree where it's like very obvious that the goose is putting on a russian accent for yeah, reasons i can't little, begin to imagine it, it, it feels a little weird but like russian is a good accent for having both wisdom and comic relief yeah that's true so like that's a good it's a good and choice alaska's a reasonable place to have a russian accent sure um i i do like this is another one of those like real life uh, versus movie things you know balto's pining after jenna there's this sort of love interest thing again the real life balto was neutered <laughs> yeah okay so granted. keep that in mind i, I all think these romance scenes just remember his balls are gone it's 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 a little bit more compelling when you tie in uh getting with jenna with respectability and being accepted by human society like i don't see those as distinct motivations like i see them all as under the banner of i want to be accepted as a this dog. is this is something you get when you're in this society yeah. yeah yeah um and he sees his opening because he he goes to jenna and 
Jenna is looking over the children as the children are starting to get sick, and and they're all she can think about. Yeah, and so they break in to find out more. It makes sense. Like, and it's like this is the whole "I can show you the world" kind of moment that you would get in Aladdin of like, you know, <laughs> you you only know these pa- palace walls, but I can show you kind of like you know the stuff that you didn't consider. Because... Except he does it before he reaches the genie, so it's just like check out my cool basement and pile of glass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I found that sufficiently sweet and good, like character yeah. writing for them, and and it does show that like she both has that like uh that uh that sort of I want to be cool, but I don't want to stain my dress sort of mentality that we sometimes see with uh with the uh with the with the main female lead, mm-hmm. you know, because she gets like she's like I can party with the uh, you know with the uh, with the mangy boys, and but like ooh I'm spooked by a spider, like it's. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's a believable like as far as like dog duchesses that are supposed to be main, you know, feminine leads, I I believe this one. It's it's a fine read. Yeah. And I like what uh, Balto does to impress her. The way that it comes up later is using a pile of glass and a light source to make a like a faux aurora borealis. Listen, Jenna, there's this thing called like a metaphor, and the way it works is I show you something and it represents what I am. In a way that makes us both look beautiful, even though we're just a big pile of garbage. Oh, okay. I thought he was making a steamed hams reference. <laughs> what is with you? <laughs> <laughs> in this part of Anchorage, <laughs> at this specific moment, localized entirely under this butcher shop. I want you to, uh, audience, I want you to understand. It's happening. The tone we're giving is the tone that the movie is setting. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It just goes around. Don't listen to Zane. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to cut in steamed No, it's, it's fine. Like, any moment that you can cut in steamed hams, I'm not going to, like, I'm not here to bite your hand. <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> like, whatever. What the fuck ever. Like, uh, honestly, anyways, for this movie, this yeah. movie doesn't have enough gravitas for me to feel like I needed to defend it. Yeah, and it's not long enough where we can't divert as, <laughs> we, as we choose. I'm already halfway through my notes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, the kids are not looking good. It doesn't look like they'll survive the next few weeks. We can, we can see the plot in motion. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Balto is going to need to either ferry medicine or win a race for medicine money. And that's as much, like, I didn't know the story of Balto, so, like, it was already pretty obvious where this was going, is Balto's going to need to win a race, and he's probably going to have to be sort of a wolf to do it. <laughs> in reality, um, even more children had it, plus some adults. Zane, did so you they mind? Actually, I, they this, rounded down. Zane, I, I hope you don't mind, but like I looked up some diphtheria facts, and like I'm I just going thought to, you might. I'm, I'm just going to pepper it in right now and never again because it, this is the part of the movie where it matters. But, diphtheria uh, is very, very upsetting. Very upsetting. Um, yeah. So some of the facts are that it is fatal if treated. About five to ten percent of cases, significantly more if it's a kid. So even if she was being treated, she might not be doing that well, and mm-hmm. it jumps to forty to fifty percent if untreated, which she totally is. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's, um, you know, it's, it's a very real disease that has had, you know, outbreaks as recently as 2017 in less developed nations and like Anchorage, you know, it's a little far from civilization and they go, you know, they, they, they take some pains to kind of say how out in the weeds it is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a very firefly thing. Like thems that aren't part of the central Alliance don't necessarily have all the medicine that the settlers need. Right. I'm honestly shocked that, you know, it was even as developed as it was back then. I mean, yeah. it wasn't even a state at that point. No, it was like the Wild West. Yeah, only and colder. That's the way it looks in, you know, the telling of this story. It looks like a saloon. 
Um, but yeah, they, they're, they're, there's one other diphtheria fact that I have, just because mm. I thought this was like an interesting piece of history. Um, uh, in 1613, Spain experienced an epidemic of diphtheria, and that year was known as El Año de los Garatios. Um, Garatios, you might recognize, it's got garot in there. Yeah, the year of strangulations, <laughs> which is like kind of metal as fuck. Yeah, that's going in my next D&D game. Yeah, the Year of Strangulations. <laughs> yeah, but in Spanish. So, like, you know, along with that tragedy, we also get a good D&D hook. So, you know, like... Evens out. Evens the score. Um, yeah, I think that the fact that they are using very true to the real story, there's the diphtheria outbreak, we need medicine. Like, they're not sugarcoating it in a yeah. significant way. Like, they're maybe minimizing the impact so where we don't actually see a bunch of dead kids, but we do see... Like the uh, the guy who made the sled earlier making a bunch of tiny fucking coffins. Oh, I, that wrecked me. <laughs> that was intense. That See, that's like as like the whole movie, not the whole movie, but like the movie hits hard when it does. And so it makes the comic relief aspect seem really like out of place. And it's one of the rare moments in the movie where I'm like, oh, good job telling the adults that this is serious shit without getting the really young viewers to worry. Yeah, where they don't really, really understand. No, they're like, I've been sick before. It was real bad, but my mom made me chicken noodle soup. That's what Baldo's doing. Yeah, because no, diphtheria is one of those interesting... <laughs> the, the way they represent it here is interesting. It's kind of like tuberculosis where like, yeah. yeah, it's got a bunch of awful symptoms, but all you really see right now here is a cough. So you're like, yeah. okay, maybe it's not that bad. But then the coffins come in. And yeah, yeah, the it's... coffins are like kind of a gut punch out of nowhere that was honestly pretty effective i agree and, with you there and like the juxtaposition from earlier when he made the sled and things were good like the dramatic and hopeless scenes are done really well like this this movie does its best when it's despairing which i think is something that like the land before time did a little less like that had a much more hopeful attitude throughout it was a lot yeah. more bittersweet yeah i well i mean but it was a consistent bittersweet thing with like a brief respite for like petri shenanigans that didn't mm -hmm. really need to be there but like over the entire thing it was a bittersweet hopeful message which really played to james horner's strengths this is a little bit more dichotomous of like can be really difficult and serious or can be kind of like just action-oriented weird shit you yeah. know um you know zane at this moment um i'd like to bring your mind back to um uh shit what's the thing that we just watched diphtheria oh, no 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 I'd like to bring your mind back to the kind of frame of mind that you were in for Oban Star Racers. Mm -hmm. There is a problem. It's re it's really serious. It has like deadly real world consequences. So that means that at this moment, the only thing that anyone can think about is an antitoxin race. Yeah, uh, and and we're jumping around a little bit. I do want to just say at the end of uh, their date, Steel shows up and offers Jenna a literal meat chain. Yeah, so that's just <laughs> two for <kinda> two, <laughs> two for two, Steel. One for um, dig up some bones. Okay, here's some meat chain. Okay, but yeah, the they decide that they need to get the antitox in there by means of a sled dog team because, and this is true to life. You know, they couldn't get the antitoxin in by sea or by air uh, because of the harsh winter, and I love yeah. like. How many movies do you see the telegraph in? Like they, they do a little medley of, okay, planes won't work. Okay, ships won't work. Okay, well, we can't do ground transport. We got to do sleds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Zane, how do they not already know who the Fastix dogs are? 
I feel like they just had an annual race. (laughs) It's it's their only form of entertainment. Also, Balto joins in the race and wins, and they're like, nah. (laughs) Well, I mean, like, yeah, that that, that is actually kind of a good, you know, establishing character moment that, like, is so heavy-handed, but, like, given that the movie's heavy-handed, I can let it go. Um, he's, they, they're like, oh, this guy's real fast. Balto steps, or, uh, Steel steps on Balto's foot as the guy comes in and makes Balto kind of scream in pain, which looks a lot like a, hey, this is a mangy mongrel, yeah, like, biting. rabid animal. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't trust him, so we can't take him on the race. Yeah, I... This is not the first time that Steel has kind of, you know, done the whole, um, I'm going to make the, the good guy look bad at, at a, at a precise moment. It's so so. This is a weird bit of irony, right? Because, um, Balto like refers to Steel as a glory hound, and in the real life, Balto had sort of this over recognition. But also, like Steel himself is so, like irredeemable. Like he's just. Oh, I'm trying to compose a thought in my head. I had mm-hmm. something and it's gone. I oh, oh. the the fact that like the the way Steel is presented here is as this like unimaginable monster. You know, even Scar and Gaston had, you know, you can make an argument for them. Here, he's just evil, and it's a real kick in the nuts to the other sled dogs in like real life who like actually did a ton of work. <laughs> I mean, the the rest of them come around, but I think the main thing to point out here is that um, is that Steel is doing some real like alpha male kind of territoriality shit. Mm-hmm. which is very wolf-like behavior oh yeah so like you know this this uh this this dog which is normally a part of society that we like you know it's normally a race of being that we think is okay he's exhibiting some real wolf characteristics which is a thing that you know is a race that we generally don't like and like honestly it's just it's a frustrating mm-hmm. you know racial tensions kind of metaphor uh, again i'm gonna say it again it's he's one of the bad ones and this is the coded way to tell you that like you know well this white guy is really behaving like a black guy i don't trust mm-hmm. and it's like eh, you know like it the, the whole this is a villain when he's the race that we should be liking it's just kind of uncomfortable i you know again i didn't really read it as that i treat them as individuals um, oh do you now <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, you know, I don't really see dog or wolf. <laughs> you know, I don't really, I don't really see canine. You know, all I know is uh, four legs good, two legs bad. <laughs> yes, we, we've learned this. Thanks, Orwell. Um, I do like that Balto during the race. Like the reason he's able to win the race is because like he knows these streets. Like he's always jumping off of uh, off of the roofs and things. Like he knows the unorthodox knows the way territory. to get there faster. Yeah. That that's kind of nice, and also nice is that he doesn't rejoin the race, even though he's taking the long way around, because he knows that he won't get a fair race if he rejoins it mm-hmm. in an earlier part. Like he'll just get tripped again. So like yeah. it's again, he's like, this is a harder path, but it's the only one I can walk. Yeah, because I'm not accepted. Um, we then so they're like, okay, let's use Steel and his team, and it's like, okay, here's a picture of Alaska, and we see the route from Nome to Nanana where they're picking up the antitoxin and it's like 30 seconds and they just cover all that distance without incident yep they pick up the medicine and then they head immediately back so we it's a weird pacing issue like there's a, when, I mean there's a reason in real life they used a relay in all honesty when steel got lost which happened soon i could not tell if he had picked up the medicine or not yet like i found that out later <laughs> it, 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 like it didn't you it like looked away for a second or it was like, like not taking notes me. yeah like i i just 
you know yeah yeah because um, yeah the 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 storm kind of gets worse the winds are fierce and steel can't see or push forward and and that's when he starts to guide the team astray because he's too proud to ask for help and they're dogs so they can't tell the human that they're lost and the human's an idiot so he can't tell them they're lost i mean is he an idiot like i, I don't know if that's on the human i like he should know he should know the route i mean like you know like in theory that's on him I mean, like, you know, that's a little geographic centrist of you. I think, like, you know, it, a bad storm is hard to see through. Like, I take that on, I take that on faith. You know, I've I've never been in a bad enough storm where I can't be able to track the very clear streets of pavement that I tend to walk down. But mm-hmm. presumably, in a wilderness, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah, I don't mean to be harsh. He just never seems to do anything proactive. Or like when when Steel starts to lead them in circles for hours, he's not like. He gets damsled pretty quick. All right, boys, we're going this way. (laughs) Yeah, he gets damseled pretty quick. Oh, yeah, because he gets knocked out and he's just a body from then on. He's just a body. Uh, Yeah, so so Steel gets lost. And at this point, we're like, well, can't trust him. What's Balto up to? And we we, we find out that he's lost via telegraph and dog telegraph. I love the, so like, I don't (laughs) like the general structure of this movie. There's like bits of it that I'm like, oh, that's fucking smart. When the telegraphist is like communicating with whomever is telling him that steel is lost. You hear the dots and dashes. There is a dog next to him that is like, you can see is like in the gutter relaying information to the whole dog town. Mm Mm-hmm. Is like telling everyone about like oh shit my telegrapher said this you know yeah like I, my love own, it, I love it when the animal society is also like the mirrors. same society as the people they live with like it's, uh, it's, it's exactly five goes west yeah <laughs> where like you know there's a little like a little mouse saloon built into the wall yeah it's exactly that um, or or like a, a secret train detective. underneath the train underneath mm-hmm. the human train or like the customs line underneath the human <laughs> customs line it's just one to one they only know the one society it's honestly great. Um, yeah, but there's yeah. there's a couple moments here that are are pretty great. Every time that we look at the human family, I find it like kind of incredibly believable as far as like humans are portrayed here. Where they they don't the mom and dad don't have personalities mm-hmm. necessarily. Like they are they are a plot device. But there is like kind of a great line where, um, you know the the I think it's the mom is or or maybe the dad is like pleading with the doctor is like, please doctor, it's the only medicine we have. And he's like, all right. And he opens the door and lets Rosie in to see. Yeah. <laughs> to see. Or uh, to, uh, lets, so Jenna in, lets Jenna in to see Rosie. I'm like, oh, the onus. Oh, as a person who loves dogs, like, that just, that got me. That was like, and you could really feel the heartache of the parents being like, there's only, we don't know what to do. This is the best we can come up with. Please let my daughter have a semblance of comfort and happiness, given that she's very likely to die in a few days. Yeah. And the doctor being like, ah, it's like not, you know, it's not sterilized. And like, you know, this is like against common procedures, but like healing begins in the mind. Okay, I'll let it happen. Like, yeah. And it's it's just one line. It's just, please, doctor, it's the only medicine we got. Yeah. And that's it. And just very powerful dialogue there. Like I said, this movie thrives in the despair and desolation. Desperation. Yeah. Desperado. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 a shame that so much of the movie is played for action because I don't think it works on that metric. Yeah, action and uh well, I, I mean you couldn't just have the movie of like awful despair. So you need the action and the triumph and the determination, but they're they're at odds. The, the balance and the pacing of it. Yeah. That that's where that's where that's what would elevate this to a much better uh movie. Um but this is when we get the coffin scene. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, it's just like one after the other, like, ooh, two gut punches. And, you know, Rosie is the only person who was nice to Balto. So even though I think that he's doing it mostly to impress Jenna and like, you know, he's he, he wants to be a good loyal dog and a good loyal dog protects the masters. And like, Rosie's the closest thing to a master that he has, closest yeah. thing to a human friend that he has. So like, I buy his motivation here. And then we go right back to Boris and the Bears. Da, 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 da. Um, I do, <laughs> I do like Balto's method of bringing Boris with him to show him how sick Rosie is. Is to just put his head in his mouth. Yeah, <laughs> just like come with me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of nice. Like I, I like that they don't. There's something that happens in American Tale and a lot of different uh, Amblin stuff where they they personalize. They 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 anthropomorphize a lot of the animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, in American Tale, the mice never walk on all fours more or less you know right and they're always wearing clothes all the dogs here not wearing clothes always walking on all fours he doesn't use his hands to like do hand things to 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 like grab boris's neck or something he puts it in his head yeah you know he just grabs him by the mouth yeah very believable dogging (laughs) yeah good dogging on this one um yeah but uh you know balto heads out Boris starts to protest. He sees how sick Rosie is, and he's like, "All right, I, I'm coming with you." And the bears come too. Yeah, and, and and all of us are just left to wonder why are you guys coming with Balto? Yeah, <laughs> like, what, what exactly do you bring to the table? A goose and some bears who can't swim. Um, and and Balto, you know, as he goes out, he's like, "Okay, I don't know exactly where they are, but I know that they're lost, so I'll need to make find my way back." So he scratches the trees in a certain way it's the only thing i remembered from watching this movie as a kid it, like the circle of trees scenes yeah uh which i thought were very effective and it just goes to show like him thinking and knowing how to survive because he's had to survive his whole life versus yeah. the cutting to steel who's getting more lost because of his ego yeah yeah and it's definitely balto is starting to like rely a little bit more on not the dog that he wants to be but on the wolf that he happens to be Mm-hmm. You know, those are survival instincts that maybe a dog would not have because they're domesticated. Whereas a wolf, you know, it makes sense that he would have these. Uh, it, it doesn't register to me as a thing that he planned out. It registers to me as a thing that he knows how to do because he's a wolf. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the way it reads to you, but it it kind of is laying the framework for the way he co- accomplishes his mission, the way he attains, um, you know, some semblance of... Uh, acceptance in both his own mind and in society's mind is that he accepts who he is yeah as a wolf. I, I buy it yeah it, it doesn't particularly end well but like it's there's they're laying the groundwork pretty well yeah it's a uh, nice quick, little, little nod. quick uh, shout out to the fact that steel and his team fall down a cliff because that's uh that's how plot progresses in the 90s is you fall down a hill fall down a cliff yeah it's uh you know whatever uh, and once he does that, the driver, the musher is knocked unconscious, and they're all like, what are we going to do? And we cut back to Muckluck having a snowball fight. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. the most egregious example in the movie. This movie lives and dies on its juxtaposition. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, pretty crazy. And Baldo's a little worried because he senses this upcoming bear attack. What makes this bear different from the other bears? This bear is also a cliff which is also a bunch of stalactites, which is also a lake. It's just, like, danger that is put in the way to give an action scene wherein Balto can be a tough guy, and there's no fucking reason. None. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like, 
it provides a little hurdle to show us, okay, bigger hurdles are going to be coming up soon. We needed to get rid of his entourage. But his entourage didn't need to come with him in the first place. It's, it's filling time. What we needed was Jenna to show up, help him with the bear. She, like, injures herself and so has to go back. And she gives him her special bandana. So, like, this is all of the past, like, five minutes is in the service of, like, following their emotional love story. Which, like, I get and I think it was done pretty well uh, in terms of, like, her part in it. But, yeah, the, the bear attack, the ice... You know, I like the individual scenes. It's just they didn't uh, they didn't add up to what they should have. Yeah, I didn't like the individual scenes because, like, I don't know what the bear attack is supposed to show us other than like <laughs> Jenna cares and can you know can Jenna cares can Balto's also fight resourceful. Yeah, I think uh, I didn't th- get this movie uh, I didn't get Balto's in... resourceful for it. Like, what I got was we need an action scene. The movie That'll... adds in bits of tension at random. It, it's going to happen multiple times, and it's, like, more unbelievable each time. And they backload it, so there's, like, three in a row after, yeah, it's <laughs> after the main incredible. one. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. Like, it's, it's, it's a real pacing mismatch and a real, like, lead foot for it to kind of throw down in the middle of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where Boris gets a lot of his really sweet lines. Like, he says, you know, when he, when he starts heading back to town, he says yeah. to Balto, like, if I leave you here alone, who will tell you how cold you are? That's it's very cute. <laughs> it's very like Russian humor of like you know. Um, <laughs> You're uh, gonna die, and we both know it, buddy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's very gallows humor in, in a way that I'm sure Dan Caves would uh, respect. Kind of reminds me of that old Russian joke of like, um, you know, there's um, uh, there's like a oh shoot. In Soviet I, Russia, dog mushes you. <laughs> something like that. I think it goes like you know, there's a there's an, a traveler who you know stops at this woman's house and says, "Hey, do you have any meat?" Um, and she says, "No, I don't have any meat." I was like, "Okay, do you have any potatoes?" It's like, uh, "No, I don't have any potatoes." Um, it's like, "Okay, well, you must be as hungry as me." So let's make ourselves like a good. Uh, let's make our, our, ourselves like a good um, a good uh, tin can stew. And she invites him in, and he says, okay, give me a tin can. Okay, so now give me some waters. You know what would make this tin can stew real good is if you had some carrots. And she's like, oh, I got a couple carrots stored away. All right, well, what would really go well with the tin can stew is some tomato or uh, some potatoes. It's like, okay, I'll do that. And some chicken. Okay, well, now I'd like to season it a little better. It's like, okay, and the last step is just to take the tin can out. You know, like, you know, that kind of like joke that's not quite a joke, but just like shows suffering. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, it was just very funny to me. <laughs> Ah, oh, I love that conception of a joke. Because <laughs> they fall in a pit and died, you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and no one had a good time. Um, um, yeah. I, yeah, I, so I like Boris whole... in general. He says one of the lines that it becomes, becomes kind of the arc words of the movie, which is, a dog cannot make the journey alone, but maybe a wolf can. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of forced underlining of the theme that I'm very aware is the movie's thrust. Especially because it's historically inaccurate. Yeah. Well, I mean, that doesn't bother me. Like, I'm because fully in the, we are in Balto Town now, and, like, history only has so much to say here. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm following the conventions that the movie is giving me. It is an outcast story. It has a racial divide and a class divide. I, I'm following those narrative conventions that I have laid in my way for me to care about this in a, in a way that makes sense to me. But, like, it's just a little heavy-handed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... The movie raises the stakes as the Telegraph tells us that they can't send any more antitoxin. They have to rely on the shipment that Steel has. Yeah. And Balto finds Steel and he is like, he's like almost feral. 
The steel is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is the clearest example of Balto's the real dog, Steel's the real wolf. <laughs> um, they argue about who will lead them, and it turns into a fight, both on a physical and emotional level. I really like the line that Balto has, uh, since when do you need a pedigree to help someone? It's okay. It's Again, it's, man, is that message heavy-handed by this point? Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ham-fisted, but I think it is a good message, and I think it's nice that Balto is... Th- this is when he explicitly acknowledges, like, I, d- I don't care if I'm a dog anymore. Yeah, it's, it is it is the moment where he's just like... And, and like, just before where... Uh, What's-his-face? Uh, Bob Hoskins was like, listen, dog can't make this journey. Maybe a wolf can. And Balto, like, does not, like, kind of buck up and, like, yeah, I can do this. He's, like still not accepted like in in, in the it, it kind of calls back to that scene where the wolf pack was inviting him and he was just kind of shrugged and turned away he didn't want to give up that semblance of being accepted yet he still didn't when boris pointed out that maybe a wolf can make this journey he was kind of like uncomfortable about that mm-hmm. and this is the point at which he's like it's you know like it doesn't matter in this case like i i i have my priority street what i am is not important what i need to do is yeah and, and so he doesn't yeah. fight. He just refuses to fight Steel and Steel just keeps on, like, attacking him. Yep, like a wolf would. You know, and it, even the other dogs are like, Steel, whoa, come on, guy. Like, and this ain't as, us. <laughs> yeah, and as, as heavy-handed as this is, the moment is a little impressive because the easy way out would have been Balto is a better fighter and has to debri- embrace his wolf side to win. But mm-hmm. instead what they do is he proves his worth by... Like, on an axis, that is the exact opposite, which is that Steel acts the stereotypical territorial wolf, and Balto embodies a loyal dog. And yeah. we're, we're not just shown that through their interaction, their altercation, we're shown that by the their, the by the dog posse that's all like, ooh, that's like, Steel, what are you actually doing here? And starts to move over to Balto's side, being like, oh, he's the real dog, Steel's the bad wolf. Yeah. Because, again, that that's the way they've taught us to believe wolf and dog in this. Um, so Steel eventually, you know, he tries to attack. He grabs Balto's bandana that Jenna gave him, metaphor. Yeah. Uh, and he just goes tumbling off a cliff with it. Yep. Uh, Balto's in charge. Balto's in charge, but, and, but like, very shortly, uh, I think, what was it? Steel, it's this point that Steel, like, intentionally sabotages Balto's return trip by, like, marking up a bunch of trees. Yeah, so Balto's method was to scratch the trees so that he knew the path, and Steel just scratches a bunch of trees so that the path is obscured and Balto is lost. It's a nice, like, we just came off of that high of the fight and him winning, and they put, like, the the reins on him, like the sled reins, and it's like a coronation. Yeah. Like, it feels like that. Yeah, it does. You're right. And then he's just immediately like, oh, shit, I'm in over my head, too. Yeah, he he becomes the proud, I need to get this back as fast as possible, even though I can't really see which way I'm going. And And he he actually takes on some of the ego and relentlessness of Steel. He he doesn't admit that he's lost either. Yeah, heavy is the head, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and and he falls. He falls down like a ravine with all of the medicine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, and it's at this point that... Cut to. <laughs> yeah, it's at this point that Balto has the, you know, uh, oh, oh no, it's it. Th- then they cut back to Steel lying to Jenna like an like a just a dumb asshole. Yeah, he he comes back and he's just like everybody else. 
froze to death. Uh, I was bringing back the medicine all alone, and Balto attacked. He wanted all the credit, like very obviously attacked really them with what up. we're guilty of. God, strategy. I, love you, I love you, Jim Cummings. He's like, yeah, if, if if I wasn't true, why would I have this bandana? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, the the hyenas made me do it. <laughs> they, they put me up to there. They're no good, Simba. Genesee's right through this bullshit. It is actually kind of pretty gratifying that she's like, she's ne- <laughs> like, we've never been, we, we've never gotten the impression that Jenna thought that he was a good guy. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that all of his like posturing and, and, and ma- malicious intent just is totally no sell is like, I like how consistent that is and how like, she's just like, you're just real a real dick body. It reminded me of uh, Buttercup in The Princess Bride when Humperdinck's like, yeah, I sent out my ships. I, we can't find the guy. What do you want me to do? She's like, you didn't do that. <laughs> she, and he's like, well, no, He'll I didn't, come but for what me. are you going to do? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we also, this is another one, just opportunity for them to hurt me, where <laughs> the telegraph operator takes down the, the town's like red lamplight. He's like... There's no chance anyone's going to need this. We've given up hope. Yeah. No I, one I needs to see the no. town because they're not coming. I actually didn't notice that, and it feels like a bad message to send to the parents of the dying children, but, you know, oh, whatever. Oh, yeah, like, wait, like... <laughs> yeah, what are we doing? Like, is that is that lamp costing you too much, buddy? <laughs> yeah, come on. Read Mythbusters. Um, and then Jenna goes out with a lantern and the glass and makes the Forora Borealis for Balto to see. Yeah, it's it's like incredibly forced. It's very <laughs> like, cute. Like, like there's kind of no need for it. I don't it's know like, what it's I'll, supposed to mean. I'll be your light, Balto. Yeah, it's like I don't understand what that's supposed to mean. Like humans gave up, but Jenna didn't. Like it's it's weird. Like callback to oh, be- broken glass is beautiful, and sometimes Balto's like sometimes the scrappy outcast is exactly what you need. It's just yeah. a bunch of metaphor that's kind of stupid i think it was cute i don't think um, it was very balto cute. is visited by the wolf god yeah yeah hold of the wise wolf <laughs> listen balto get up off your ass and help me sell this corn he's like wait i'm alive i have a medicine i have a lamp i can see the sun he becomes determined truly he is hungry like the wolf <laughs> so what all what actually happens is a white wolf visits him and does a howl and Balto is still cagey about it. He doesn't howl back, and the wolf walks away. And then he remembers Bob Hoskins saying, like, listen, dog might not be able to handle this, but a wolf can. And he's like, I can't accept this side of myself. And I don't know what that has to do with determination. Like, I feel like dog also means determination, but it's just, Yes, it's, definitely. <laughs> it's, an odd, it's an odd moment for him to be like, maybe I can be a wolf because a wolf can drag this medicine where a dog, like, it just doesn't read to me. What I, I think it came after he like made his way back up the cliff and got the dogs to go back on track, where when he scratch when he got back to the circle of trees with the scratches on it, he's like, I'm gonna trust my nose, which is like better trained because I've had to hunt all my life. He he uses that, his nose to lead them back. That's a bit better, but like I mean, that's not the moment that he accepts being a wolf. That happens before when he's given up hope, and I just yeah. don't know what accepting that i'm a wolf means about like maybe i haven't lost this well ben if you didn't get it there from our big climactic moment what if we had like three or four more climactic moments for you to understand See, that's just a, how tenacious he is yeah that's a really good idea like so there's a bear at that point in the form of an avalanche uh 
a perilous ice bridge crossing. That's, that's oh yeah, I fucking forgot about the ice bridge. <laughs> it was not precipitated. Yeah, there's in a any way. there's a bear that happens to be an ice bridge, and then yep. there's a bear that happens to be a bunch of stalactites falling down. And every you know, snow movie cliche. I cannot. It's, seek shelter in the cave. It's fucking galling, is what it is. The, I I think the one in the cave worked like the stalactites worked a little bit better because the medicine case broke open and one of the bottles actually shattered. So that's a nice escalation. I'm not sure how Balto sealed it back up. It looked like he just tackled the box and it resealed itself. That's what you do with fragile containers. You just you have to show him who's boss. It's a real alpha move. Um, like honestly, I I can't. And it's like a little bit hard to emphasize in a movie that is this shallow and that is this brief. Like if you go watch it, you will be amazed by how much like gratuitous action that like just heightening of stakes and you know building of tension three seconds before it's released it's like just so epileptic like action movie cliche like there's that moment when he's dragging the box up and he's like um and he's like trying to drag the box up the cliff and like the box almost falls a couple different times and then they do the same thing with the whole team or maybe that happened before it fell i don't remember because it just happened constantly Let's let's workshop a little bit better because you can't cut too much because it's already a short movie. Let's workshop a little how they could have fixed this. I'm thinking like during the montage where they head to get the medicine, we see some of these landmarks and we see the human and the dogs working together, going slowly, like navigating the treacherous terrain. So that now when it's game time and the human's not operating, it it like would like it, it's already set up but we still have those stakes of like oh he's got to figure it out alone i think we need a buddy cop like somebody to hold him back no like not you the, like boris should still be there uh a boris analog like like for the second part of this movie it's all balto has now kind of come to terms with himself but we don't ever get the society comes to terms with him when they see his merit you know they mm-hmm. like we get that as a kind of feeling with like the whole dog team willing to follow him but that didn't read me read to me any more than just like oh he's our new steel you know yeah it 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 didn't read to me as like a acceptance of who he was and i think that a voice on the dog sled team at that point could have done a lot i think it i think that the trouble here is the conflicts that work balto versus steel balto versus society what they're doing here is balto versus nature and nature's never been his problem, so it feels forced. If if these tension... Balto versus versus self was kind of the biggest. Balto versus self. If if these moments of action were motivated, if a character, if somebody else who had it out for him, if one of the dogs went rogue, or if he and Steel had to team up against the bear at some point, and now Steel is doing this, like there were there were ways to keep these in that would have worked because like. At this point, our tension load is is blown already because hmm. we've had this time pressure for the whole movie. Yeah, we're, we're we're more or less like already accepting that. Hey, the medicine's gonna get there. I know how you know kids' movies work, and I'm just a little bit rolling my eyes at all these action scenes of like, okay, how many times can they really try to, you know, grip me in a tension kind of grabbing sort of way? Like one will work, and I won't bat my eyes at that. But the fact that they do it four times back to back 
have steel it's incredible after jenna calls him out on it go back out and sabotage these places for baldo Eh, i mean like i don't like that much either like there's there's no emotional content in that we already Mm. know that steel's a bastard and we already know that balto is accepting of his nature the only thing left that they would need to tie in is how do we get uh society to accept him and the, the, the the actual society is not well fleshed out as characters they are only fleshed out in how they relate to balto so it would need to be like maybe there could be something back at camp where like Somehow, I have no idea how this would articulate, given that dogs can't talk, but maybe if human society realized that Balto had left and had some inkling of, like, it's, you know, he's going to try to save them, you mm-hmm. know, and Steel coming back, kind of showing that he failed, while whereas Balto is still out there, maybe we get something. Yeah. It's not the—I can tell you one thing for sure. It's not with these action scenes. The the stakes need to be different, right? If you're going to have a rising action after the climax, you know, it's one thing like, oh, we succeeded in our mission. It was a million to one odds. We destroyed the Death Star or did something. Well, even in, in both order to circumstances, have a, there's a villain. In order to have a proper falling action to resolution, the threat is no longer, oh, we can fail our mission. It's, we succeeded in our mission. We can still die. Yeah, it's it's the it's the you know Bryn Star is going to explode kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um you know maybe the the problem here is just that there's no villain anymore. Steel right. has tapped out two thirds of the way through. He's like, I can't take it. I can't hack it anymore, Coach. I should have trained harder. And he's <laughs> like, I, I can't be the villain anymore. So there's nothing for Balto to fight except for padding, really. Yeah. There's yeah. there's no there's no more conflict in the movie at this point. So it's just like them kind of treading their wheels. Pretty hard. Again, like, um, in the real-life race, uh, Balto and uh, Gunner, I forget his last name, Caspin, Mm -hmm. they they do their leg, and then they see that the final guy has fallen asleep because he didn't know where they were. Yeah. They missed missed their deadline. So that would have been like, oh, now we have to do this leg that we weren't prepared for, where we didn't see the threats on the way in. Like, that, that could have been an opportunity. Yeah, we're like, like we're like okay. I've done my job. Time to pass it off to the next person. Oh wait, I have to do this too. Yeah, we, we've talked about this actually in Ovan Star Racers, where like a good way to do a conflict is to like well, you set up the sides, and you're like, I have this trick that you didn't account for. But then the hero's like, Oh, but like I'm 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 prepared for that, and then that is resolved, and then like a secondary complication comes in and totally undermines him, and then mm-hmm. you have to you know use your grit and determination and skill and 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 brains in order to overcome that and that can be really cathartic but we already did all that you know and balto being a you know heroic figure has already been established to all the characters that matter to himself right. to society it's all kind of done yeah you know yeah. there's just there's just no other reason for conflict so the conflict feels very forced and pandering which it is yeah we, anyway, uh, yeah, the, we, we, yeah. go ahead. We check back in on the town and on Balto's crew, and everyone's despairing pretty hard. Yeah. Um, but There's a really Balto... great moment that I want to I wanna mo- mention here with the family. Yeah. Uh, this is the best scene in the movie, and it's so subtle, and it's just like this very microscopic, like, realistic depiction of a family at a kid's bedside. 
mm-hmm. where the mom and dad are they're not a a a more common interpretation of this a way to show us hey these are doting parents is to have them like clutching her hands at bedside but what are they doing when we check back in with them they're sitting in chairs at one side of the room and the dad is dozing on the mom's lap as she kind of keeps watch yeah and then the nurse comes by with like a mug of cocoa or like tea or because that's all she can do yeah this it'll make you feel better and the mom says thanks you know, it's just like a very realistic depiction of what I assume to be like a family going through some trauma where you can't be distraught and emotionally like uh, emotionally like uh, Dis- high, distraught. high emotion like all the time in those moments. Because if it lasts for a week, a lot of the time you're just worn out and tired. Yeah. And that that's a really good depiction of a moment like that, even though the screen time has only been an hour and it would make sense within the realm of how much screen time we've seen for them to just be like beating their chest and screaming to the heavens the whole time. Yeah. But we actually yeah. do see the passage of time and like this has worn this family down. Yeah, if they were trying to fill out the runtime in some other way, they could have done a lot more with uh, the people in town. Maybe give us a sympathetic uh, animal who's trying to help out around town or like, you know... Boris has a scene where he's, you know, oh, I'm Santa Claus. I'm just trying to get, this, get the kids to keep hope through the next few days. Yeah, that would, that would have been really difficult for me. <laughs> um, but Balto sees the uh, Aurora that uh, Jenny set for him, and he wolf howls, and uh, this Paul reveres everyone awake. Yeah, yeah, the wolf owl is just, like, icing on the cake for no reason. Like, Do what, you get it? What, were they not going to wake up and, like, accept the medicine if he didn't, like, clue them into the fact that he was back and he accepted his wolf side? It's just, I mean, I guess, like... No it, one in town has been sleeping soundly for days. I guess the point <laughs> of it, if there is a point, a generous read, is that, like, the... Uh, the theme, the theme here is that now a wolfhound, a wolfhound, is not a source of terror, but a source of hope for the town. Mm-hmm. So, like, that might be a good like way to cue us into, oh, the town's interpretations of Balto have also changed. Yeah, and Which we get the f- not all. We get the full inversion because um, we see Steel talking up his accomplishments, but the jig is up when Balto shows up, and now Steel is the pariah. Yeah, which is you know. It's a good kind of, you know, Merchant of Venice style, the villain has gotten his kind of kind of thing where like we're glad to see that the villain has, you know, been not just like physically, but also like publicly denounced as like this. He's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And there's like a difference between I know he's the bad guy to where like everyone knows he's the bad guy. There's like a catharsis in he's gotten his comeuppance publicly. Yeah. And it's, it actually feels better then now society loves Balto because me knowing Balto's the good guy that's enough I already know that from the beginning you but hatred that... is very strong and I need everyone to know how big of a dick Steel is oh yeah like that that, that that hits you on a very gut level of like I need there to be a villain here because a villain he, honestly this is the purpose of a villain right it's it's a physical manifestation of everything that the world can throw at uh, our hero but in a very personal and direct way that is 
motivated solely by, you know, ego or hatred or any of those negative emotions um, that you want to that you want to assert. It's why you have a villain as opposed to a series of stalactites and bridges, right? Uh, I think that you'll find that the real villain is Winter. <laughs> um, yeah, and we get, we get some nice closing shots. Um, you know, Balto coming into town with everyone like cheering him on. It looks like the finish line of a race, which it yeah. kind of is. Yeah. Um, the the real Aurora Borealis shows up, turns fine. into a wolf god. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> fine. And then we snap back to reality and we see that um, the old lady from the beginning of the movie, everybody remember that framing device? Remember her? Um, she's back. They see the real statue of Balto in New York City. And she says the same line that Rosie does, which is like, I, oh, Balto, I would have been lost without you. And it's like, oh, this is Rosie, which like we we could have figured that out. I, it also like is like immaterial. I don't have any feelings right, for this old woman. <laughs> you know, like, who gives a shit? It's <laughs> a really weird choice. <laughs> it's, it's, like, as insubstantial as the framing device was to begin with. And then uh, end credits have a uh, 90s pop ballad. Because yeah, that's just... That's how you did movies I feel in like the 90s. If they, if they made this movie now, they would be able to shed a lot of the chaff that was obvious. Like, they were just chasing everything that was cool at the time. And you absolutely have Duran Duran playing for the outro. Hungry like the wolf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Th- what do you th- think? This movie had a lot of problems, is what I think. Yeah, a lot of weird choices. I think it did establish some genuine pathos. Like, it had those emotional moments. It had a really nice thematic undercurrent throughout. Great villains. Villain. I, yeah. I consider the stalactites villains. <laughs> but, yeah, on the whole, just not not the strongest. The uh, once we accept the premise of this is a stock standard hero outcast has to prove himself both in his own eyes and also in society's eyes. Once we accept that as a very, you know, a very tired and cliche framework for this, it's in decent execution for the most part with like a couple real big glitches in the middle. Tonally, the bears fuck it all up. <laughs> And the action scenes are inc- like just fast travel, Balto. Honestly, it's yeah. it's it's so. It's got to feel like a journey, you know. It's like book one of uh, Lord of the Rings. Like we have to get, we got to get through. The I understand forest. the narrative for need for it, but like it just breaks the pacing and does not tell anything about our characters. You know, like there's there's no growth happening. There's no conflict resolved. It it's pure padding. Yeah, at those points, and like that it really, really felt like it. Yeah. And I also do think that the theming is confused. Again, I've said it before. I think that what they want us to say, either what they want to tell us is that in this world, dog means good, wolf means bad, and that Balto is good, one of the good ones, despite his wolf upbringing. It's not because he's a wolf. It's despite he's a wolf, he's still behaving like a dog does. I think the fact that at the end, the Aurora Borealis turns into the wolf god tells us you know, if if not the people of the town, we all understand that, yeah, wolves are great too. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that that was a... They're just cooler. I mean, I agree. And, you know, he's got that, like, I... It, it's a little tricky because I'm trying to separate how I feel about wolves and how the depiction of the of the, of the townsfolk is about wolves. Like, it's not whether I think they communicated that wolves are bad. It's that in the narrative of the townsfolk folk accepting Balto... It needed to be shown that despite him being a wolf, he's still a decent guy. And despite Steel 
being a purebred, he's a bad guy. And that's like not the entirety of it. You know, that's mm-hmm. it works on the microscopic, like one person is okay level. But like as a broader social construct, I don't feel like the town really learned that, hey, wolves are sometimes, like not wolves are sometimes okay, but that like the distinction between wolf and dog is insubstantial, which it fucking isn't. Like it, it, we're, we're talking about a racial disparity and the analog to it in this movie is domesticated dog that is okay to be around and wolf that you can't trust. In the real world, that's totally true. <laughs> so, so like, it's it's a very confused racial metaphor that I just don't, don't think was handled particularly well. Yeah, I think if you... I think the way to look at it is, like, this is a kid's movie about anthropomorphic animals, and they took the easiest way to give him the underdog story right and and by throwing in a little like class disparity and potentially racial dis well no absolutely racial disparity in there it does like sympathize him to us somewhat because we we know that he's being treated unfairly it's not so Mm -hmm. much that he just happens to be an outcast like there's reasons for it that are not well founded but once you drop us in the racial disparity mode you really have to sell the fact that the racial divide is not uh is 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 not warranted by you know their actual biological differences of a wolf and a dog you know like right. it's 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 just confused and it's uh it's a little tricky to navigate again once you accept that premise it's okay but did uh, you like this movie some like you know it, it honestly i had to get through a lot of caveats to get myself to like the moments that i liked it's tricky because, like, the best parts of it, which are, like, Boris, <laughs> I guess. Boris and the townsfolk are my favorite parts of this movie. Really? Yeah, because, like, I feel like Bob Hoskins does a good pairing of Balto. Because I don't think Balto's character is all that strong. Mm-hmm. But, like, the, 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 the sidekick who kind of lightens the mood and also gives him words of wisdom I thought was played very well. When you're When that's the thing I'm looking at, the bears fuck it all up. <laughs> you know? And yeah. I like the townsfolk a lot because they are a very stereotypical, like... Small town community. Yeah, and, like, it gives it gives us, you know, stakes that we can really identify with. Mm-hmm. You know, this, 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 there's an adorable girl and she's going to die. And so, yeah. like, for that to be the stakes, I think that, like, the family was depicted really well. And I feel like the, the community was depicted really well. But it's not the focus of the movie, so... Do you think... Do you think kids like kids at the time would like this because it didn't do great and it didn't have great reviews, but I can definitely see like kids being like, yeah, dog. It's, uh, you know, Land Before Time, I think fits a lot better in that it maintains that bittersweet tone through the entirety of it. Whereas this really flip-flops between hopeful and jaunty and jokey and like devastating fight for survival kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you know. Um, and, and when you're flip-flopping, you're going to lose one of the two audiences that you've garnered. And I, I yeah, definitely... That's a really, that's a really hard, uh, needle to thread. A, as an adult, I did not really care for the bears, um, or the weird jokiness of some of the scenes, you know? Um, whereas I, and, or the action scenes, which I think play better to younger audiences, you know, manufactured tension and all that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm sure that the, you know, child coffins and, you know, uh, racial divide are not things that sit super well with kids. So, I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's imbalanced. 
Yeah. Like it, consistent tone was not had, and I didn't really like the main character, and, you know, it's got too many problems for me to like it, I think, overall. I liked it overall. I think, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it tugged my heartstrings. I thought the bones of it were pretty strong. I liked most of the characters, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't hate all the needless tension building stuff, um, just because, like, they were over pretty quick, and they ah. weren't poorly drawn. Like the animation of them was good. Yeah, I, like it the way that fine. the way that the sleds, you know, f- went back and forth on the ice, and like one bottle fell out, and I was like, "Oh shit! Is this is there a part in this movie where half the medicine gets lost, and they have to like choose Do, like a lottery which kids to save?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been an interesting turn. Um, I like the romance between Balto and, and Jenna. That felt very like manufactured. Not just it. It felt more than. The classic Disney, like, we're horny teens. It was much more like, we respect each other as adults and individuals, and also, we have a lot of shit going on, but we're going to try and find romance in that despite it. You know, it's, uh, there's there's two points to that. One of them, the part that I did not like, is that I agree that Jenna kind of finds the good in Balto. Balto's a horny teen. Like, I don't know why he likes <laughs> Jenna to begin with. Like, I assume it's because she's not a dick to him, but, like, is that enough? You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the 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 other lady dogs in this are not, uh, you know, they're not great. No, I mean, like, well, I mean, like, I, you know, you know, I, I like Huey Louie Dreyfus. Like, I like older Jewish comedians. That's totally fine by me. Um, the, the part that I do like is that we come into the relationship kind of already cemented. When we meet Balto and Jenna, there's not a meet cute. It's just like, there's already flirtation going on. They already know each other. So yeah, maybe, they go way back. maybe I can give it a pass for like, there is emotional content between them. Like, of like, uh, you know, she accepts me for who I am, even though I don't. I didn't really feel like that was well articulated on his side. Hmm. It, it yeah, honestly well, just is, felt uh... like they were the two decent folk in, in Dogtown and yeah, therefore the are paired together. Default, yeah, yeah, very felt, very felt, felt very default couple. Yeah, well, that that is Balto. Somehow, both generic and odd. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad that we got to do a. I don't know what's about this movie because it got no hype, and now I see why. It's like it slides off the brain pretty pretty hard. There's a couple good moments. I really like Jim Cummings as a villain, and we get a lot of him. And I do recommend. You know, sorry, go ahead. And, and even though he is like a. Fairly stereotypical flat character. He's delivered very well because Jim Cummings yeah. knows what he's doing. He's a pro. Yeah. I do recommend looking up the, um, like, just a Wikipedia storytelling of, like, the actual serum run to Gnome. Because, like, it, it's pretty great. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. It, like, I mean, it's it's very, like, I can see why they wanted to make a story out of this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of raw material of, like, there's a um kind of frontier machismo to it. You know, like a... Uh, Almost Paul Bunyan sort of lore of like yeah in in our modern era of planes and trains and automobile we managed to save the children using this uh, archaic method yeah uh, more, even more than that is like you know back in back in the old days it was just a it's just some old cowpoke with the dream and the heart of a warrior and he <laughs> you know like it it felt kind of like Wild West kind of taming the unknowns to get something done it felt pretty John Wayne or or what have you mm-hmm. So, you know. yeah, and that's Balto. It is Balto. It's not my favorite movie by any stretch, but like, 
it's you know it's over quickly it is over it is quick that that's the it's other over thing. quickly and though the tone is inconsistent it is strong yeah like the the scenes have strong emotional impact whether for good or for ill yeah and like i, I honestly like i didn't get anything unique out of this movie but it's it's painless you know mm-hmm. um it didn't cost me much and it, it it had some good moments that's as much as i can say for it yeah yeah uh yeah so i hope you guys all enjoyed that depiction of a very bland movie um if you have anything to say to us well i guess first we should talk about what we're doing next yeah so next time we are going to do another reheated segment we're going to take a look back at the new version of a of a based on a true story the magic school bus rides again Mm Hmm. yeah uh, i watched the first episode of it it seems you know, it's kind of exactly what you'd expect. It's it's very similar in style, but it has a lot of modern, um, a lot of modern touches that some go down well, some do not. Yeah, I I, I think that would be, yeah, that'll be that'll be an interesting thing to check out. I remember the first time that we did Magic School Bus, I was very kind of taken with the inclus- inclusion, like the edutainment format of it. You know, mm-hmm. that, it was very clear that that was a driving force behind it. And I think that might be a little at odds with the need to cash in on an established nostalgia. So that'll be an interesting thing to keep in mind. They explicitly touch on the nostalgia baiting in the first episode. No kidding. Wow. They're like, hey, guys, we know what we're doing. We know you're here for it. <laughs> Things are going to be a little different this time around. Okay. Um, and what about after that? After that, uh, I think that what we should do is, you know, we, we've, we've done this... We've done uh, an anime recently. We've done G.I. Joe for like the 80s era cartoons. Um, I'm sure we've done some 90s cartoons, although we, I can't bring them to mind right now. And we just did a movie. Let's uh, let's vary up the format a little bit. Let's go back into the Adult Swim era of, uh, of cartoon. Kids out of the pool. Kids out of the pool. Um, granddads only. And so what, we, what we've done before is two of the trilogy of let's, you know, put a let's put a fresh coat of paint on these old film reels from these ridiculous <laughs> cartoons that like were very dated at the time like or not dated at the time but dated in retrospect and yet people still remember with like alarming clarity and it there's no no one's using them so we might as well cut them up and redub the voices and see what comes out so just like Harvey Birdman attorney at law and space goes coast to coast we will be doing Sea Lab 2021 <laughs> under the sea yeah, that is where you'll find me. I'm I'm nervous that this show will be like, like because it was hilarious when I watched it when I was a teenager. Yeah, you, I'm when you were that into it absurdity. Be like, I'm worried it'll be cringy now. I'm I'm sure it won't be great. I'm sure it'll have problems. <laughs> I think that I will still enjoy parts of it. I think that the the voice acting for Captain Murphy is going to get me through a lot of it. Yeah, because I like that. Yeah. That's a strong point in my memory. But we're gonna have to see. I'm looking forward to random humor, and I'm looking forward to doing something that's aimed at a quote-unquote older audience, by which I mean edgy teens. Yep, edgy teens. It's it's my favorite of the three from when I watched all three of them back in the day. I think Space Goes Coast to Coast is probably the most um, most clever of the three. But yeah, I think it's, it's certainly different. I think this one is like the most gripping initially. I don't know if it'll like replace either. I don't think it'll. I don't know if it will still hold that high a mark compared to Harvey Birdman or Space Ghost. So I'm eager to find out. And maybe as a fun, like, little 
kind of uh, roundup of that, we can rank them. Let's ruin our childhoods. Let's ruin our childhoods. And you guys can help us ruin our childhoods if by going to our Facebook page or going to our website, cartoncast.com or fancybat.com, or drop us a line at cartoncast at gmail.com. You can also drop us a line by going to a contact page at fancybat.com, which is our group website that hosts all the other website or all the other shows on the network, including Cocktail Party Congress, uh, which is a political discussion podcast with a three drink minimum, hosted by our very own Dan Caves and JT Andrews. So, if any of that sounds good, go for it. Um, you can also give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other rating review apps are out there. I don't actually know the substance of it. We should because probably we are look into that. Very amateur podcasters. <laughs> uh, but in any case, uh, more than anything else, what you can do is tell your friends about the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you yeah. for all listening to my very sick voice. I, you know, I was I was on a dog sled for five days and I came down with the cholera. Yeah, yeah, you sound dysenterish. In touch with-